when was the last time that you focused on your mental skills? This week on the podcast, we sit down with mental coach John Quinn, who has coached some of the top sports people from top crusaders, all blacks, and top CEOs in New Zealand. We talk with him about the importance of intentionality and self-awareness and driving your mental strength and what it means to get out of your comfort zone and out of that avoidance zone into a zone of action and discomfort and the amazing benefits that that can yield. I don't think I've learned so much out of 90 minutes ever in my life. There are so many sound bites and I cannot wait for you to listen to it. John is incredibly inspirational and an absolute gold mine. You're going to love his story. You're going to love everything he has to say. So let's rip into the episode. Um, John, firstly, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're super excited to have this conversation. Um, yep. The work you do is so, so interesting. And I feel like there's no better way to contextualize and provide insight into that work than talking about the tour you've just been on with NZ Athletics. Yep. I was wondering if you could break down that experience and talk about the role you played in, in that recent tour. Yeah, but we, it was kind of gearing up to World Champs. So we had World Champs in Budapest. Um, when was it? July, August, whenever it was. Um, so I, I suppose my role is preparing them before they go. So I've had a lot of um, athletes in Christchurch, New Zealand, around how do you manage a moment where, for some of them, it's a four-year cycle or two-year cycle where they will be judged on 10 seconds, 15 minutes, 30 minutes um, for the whole time. So it's how do you get people to understand... Uh, it's not a threat, it's a challenge. Um, what tools do you need when you walk out in front of 40,000 people uh, and to do a basic skill you've done a thousand times or a million times and make sure you do it as well as you can. So a lot of the work's done before we go away and around how do you prepare them prepare them for stuff that they won't experience here. That's always a challenge with some of our smaller sports where you haven't got the competition, where rugby's been lucky for years, there's always been strong competition. But if you look at, say, Tom Walsh, it's only when Jacko now is starting to throw decent... Um, Distance, he's actually getting some competition. But say Hamish Kerr, high jump, you know, he he jumps 230, the highest in New Zealand before that's maybe 205. So he can go to a competition in New Zealand and you know you've yeah, already won. So it's wow. really challenging. And it's a bit like some of the golfers, tennis players, other ones in New Zealand where we haven't got that really high-end competition consistently where mm. cricket, rugby, they've got it. So you kind of, the preparation is trying to go, well, how do we get them as ready for that as possible? And then once they get there, is what does it look like in the sense of, managing the day-to-day -day white noise, um, training, um, managing moving away from home. Some of them have been away from home up to five or six months by the time the World Champs kick in because um, a lot of our athletes have to go overseas to get that experience. So I went over a little bit early. Um, I spent a day at Tottenham Hotspur um, then I spent three days with the Scottish rugby team just observing because Brad Moore, who's obviously was one of the Crusader coaches, was consulting there. So I went up to Scotland for three days just to gain observation to see how do they do things, what's different, what's the same um, around it, which was really interesting. And then went back to Loughborough, and that's where Hamish um, and Tom were based before we went into um, France for a pre-camp. So we then go into France and Montpellier for a pre-camp. That's kind of two weeks again, the whole team there. And mm. athletics is interesting because it's a team without a team because they're all individuals. They don't train together very often. They don't travel together very often. They come together, world champs, com games, Olympics, and that's it. So it's kind of... 18 individuals who you try and create a team with. What does um, that mindset shift look like for those athletes? Because obviously yep. they're hyper-competitive, type A, very driven people who are yep. used to operating in their own space, yep. coming together not only as a team but mm. to represent their country. 
Yeah, look, I think we're pretty lucky because Kiwis are pretty down to earth and I think mm. we shared a, a, a accommodation with Australia and I think they're slightly different from us Aussies and that's not a criticism, but they're just <laughs> differently wide. Um, but look, I think it, it's around creating your own spaces, your own habits, routines, it's all that kind of basic stuff and we were lucky, everyone kind of gets on and supports each other as much as they don't train as much together because everyone's all over the place, they actually come together quite well. And within that group you've got kind of your your pole vaulters who train and travel a lot together, you've got your throwers, you've got your, your sprinters. So there's a lot of mini connections here anyway. But that kind of two weeks is just about sharpening the saw really. Um, doing the little things well because realistically if you're not ready before then, it's it's kind of too late. So a lot of it's just around, um, you know, making sure they're ready mentally and that's just doing the basics basically. You're eating well, connecting with home. It, it's, you know, everyone wants the secret to this stuff. There's no secret. You know, everyone wants the magic dust. You know, if you do this, this what will happen. It's just the ability, if you've done the work, you've got a chance of them performing. It doesn't give you the right to perform, it gives you a chance. And then, it, obviously, as you get into Budapest, yeah, the arousal heightens a lot. And so it's around making sure then that they're sticking to things that they can trust. They've got clarity of things that they can do. Um, you know, basic, make sure they're sleeping well, they're connected with home, same stuff. And then get into, you know, your pre-comp mode. Um, and a lot of them will kind of, not necessarily go into their shells, but they're kind of, not shut down, but just kind of go into their own world. Uh, and that's the time you know, some that's when they're really getting ready because actually their focus really narrows down to what they're doing um, around it. And then it's, it's, it's showtime. Um, and that's, that's the hard part because I said some did really, really well. Um, some did okay and some you know, had really good, great preparation and didn't perform. And that's the hardest part is mm. you put three or four years into something uh, and you're judged in that 15 minutes, you don't get it. And it's like, well, how do you then move forward to the next thing? Um, and that's part of my role is how do you support them mentally, whether they succeed or not succeed? Because post-pinnacle events, there's always a drop-off generally because you have three or four weeks of... Um, and it's not real living, you know, living in a suitcase, hotels, your food's cooked for you, everything's done for you. It's not real, it's just like this kind of... Um, Fairyland, you kind of live in. Then you go so to different to the reality yeah. of life back home, right? Oh, look, it is. I mean, yeah. I was aware of the black caps for during COVID for two months. We had the World Cup in twenty twenty, and it's just it's just not a real world you live in. I mean, you're living in five star hotels, you're getting food, your laundry done for you, and you can't get home and say to your wife, "Right, I want my laundry done, I want my meals cooked for me all the time." So it's not <laughs> a, you know, it's not a real definitely world. would not hit the no, hit it home well. Yeah, it doesn't go down well. So it's it's a really interesting space because um, as much as being a high-performing athlete has its lot of benefits. It's a real tough gig um, because, you know, you've, you've got to do things that most of us don't have to do. Um, you know, we can get away with staying up late, eating crap. Um, we can come to work and be 5 out of 10 and get away with it. And we can do that for a whole week if we choose to, you know, and no one really knows. They're on every day. You know, we get a, mm. a performance appraisal once a year if we're lucky, and most of those performance appraisals are pretty average. And what you get, they get a performance appraisal every week, every day. I mean whether it's rugby, cricket, athletics, hockey, every time they turn up to training, we're assessing, we're judging, we're seeing if they're getting faster, stronger, what's their skills like. And then I remember one of the rugby boys said to me one time, he said, it's, it's like you have to go for a job interview every week and then if you get the job, you've got to reapply the next week. I think it's a nice way of looking at it, mm. is that you've always lived in that place in the team sport of uncertainty. Am I playing, am I not playing? And you know, for you guys, you go to work, you know you're working. Mm. You know, so there's a bit of a certainty around it where a lot of athletes there is uncertainty and particularly with sports like athletics where there's bugger or money there's not much funding um, you know a lot of them are doing it you know they're probably losing money I mean some of our top ones yeah they, they can make a crust but 
a lot of them are sacrificing a lot to do this because they're not using their degrees or they're not finishing their degrees, they're not working and they're certainly not getting paid when they're away. So it's, it's a tough gig to support them to balance some of that stuff. I found it really interesting when you you were talking through how they're going through all these challenges and you want them to prepare for competition day and the two things that you did as your call-outs or your examples were make sure that they're sleeping well and make sure that they're connected to home. Why were those, I'm assuming, the most mm. important two or the two most core aspects well, of that prep? The connection's a really interesting one because that's how we survive as humans is connection. We survived hundreds of years ago by living in tribes and big groups of people because... You know, we weren't that fast, we couldn't fly, we didn't have sharp claws. So the only way we survived in those days was sticking together. But as a society now, we don't do that very well. You know, our connection piece is mm. pretty average. Um, and that's for many reasons, which is another whole podcast. But the reality <laughs> is that connection piece is one that we've got to really put a high price on. Um, and I look at the best teams I've been involved with, the coaches or leaders understand that. And rugby's a prime example, cricket with Gary Stead and Razor with rugby, they put a high price on that connection piece. You know, who's in front of you? And this is a game for corporates, you know. Do you know the person who's actually in front of you? Who, who's, how do you understand the people who you're actually leading? And the best coaches do that really well um, around it. But also some of these athletes, you know, being away from home is really cool, but it's not home. Mm. You know, so it's like I just caught up with an athlete before I came here and they'd been away five months this year in Europe for their chosen sport. And, you know, f- we, you know, after this podcast, we're going to go home to our families, to our friends, to our comforts. You go home to a hotel, it doesn't matter if it's five star or one star, it's still not home. So getting them to understand that connection with home, friends and family is your foundation because it's almost that, it's that well-being piece. You know, if you're well, you've got more chance of performing. If you're unwell, it's a little bit harder. So the connection piece is massive and obviously sleep because we don't get enough of it. Uh, most of us short-change sleep. Um, we almost have a badge of honour how much sleep you don't need mm. um, around it. But we know from a neuroscience point of view, sleep's a non-negotiable. Yeah. So it's, it's look, what you're going to find, mate, and even when you guys talk to people here, you know, ordinary people doing extraordinary things, basics, you know. And that's the thing, thing about the world today is that, you know, if you want to lose weight, it's not hard. You don't have to go to E45, just eat less and exercise more. It's not rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> no one's owned that, you know. It's yeah. like that's all you have to do. But we're looking for the, the easy way to do that. And what's the cheap way of doing that or what's the shortcut? Well, there isn't one. You know, around it. And to be successful, it's the same thing. You know, you've got to work really hard, you've got to apply yourself, you've got to manage the highs and lows of what goes with that. And the same with athletes is that, you know, that they have some challenging times. And I'm not saying they have a tough life, you know, compared to what happens around the world, they don't. But their resilience piece has to become really important because they will lose more than they will win. Mm. It's really um, fascinating, the, the connection piece. One thing that we've picked up and we've talked about um, is a lot of our hyper-successful guests are extremely connected to the teams they've built and have quite firm foundations outside of the work yep. they do. Um, so it's really interesting to hear the importance of that from an athletics perspective. And it's, it's, it's massive. I mean, the buzzword at the moment is that psychological safety or the belonging piece. Mm. And, you know, Owen Eastwood, who wrote the book Belonging. and Fantastic it, book, by the uh, way. Look, it, look it is, but it's notes. taking a basic concept and tre- making it trendy um, mm. around it. And, and you know, people overseas are going, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And they're going, really? Did you not? understand that stuff before but it is around who's in front of you getting to know the person in front of you more and more and we just don't do that you know we go to work and i'll get you know everyone goes you know you, you guys turn up here you going jack good how's your weekend good right let's work you know we actually don't know who the person is well actually how was your weekend what did you get up to actually how are you going and the best leaders and the best coaches just put a value on that stuff 
where other ones, and you see this in leadership, is that they will value it, but they value the work more important. So mm. it's the human being versus the human doing. And most value the human doing. I want to get something out of you, so I'll say good day, how are you, and hope you're okay, but get to work. Where the best coaches, the best leaders, they focus on the human being first and foremost. And they understand that person, they actually get more out of them. But we get it the wrong way around at times. Wow. What aspects of your role, obviously you're, you're working with these teams, how close are you working with the coaches and the training staff as well? Yeah, look, it varies in different teams. I mean, ideally as close as you can because a lot of our role is in like a, the people who have similar roles to me in New Zealand. There's not many who are full-time at the team. So Gilbert Anoka has been with the All Blacks for 20-odd years. He's probably the only person that's really been full-time in that role. Most of, you know, we have different contracts. So I work with five or six different teams and so yeah. that's not a full-time gig. Um, so the coaches are crucial, you know, it's no different for leaders in business, their ability to lead is so important, and we've got a lot of average leaders out there, you know, who, who think they're good leaders because their KPIs have been ticked off, but they're actually leading people or leading a business, and there's two different ways of doing that. Um, so look, the good coaches get it, the good coaches surround themselves with better people, uh, and the good coaches are the ones who actually empower other people to lead around it. So ideally, yes, you work with, the, I mean, physios and S&C, strength and conditioners, are probably two most crucial ones because on the physio table they hear lots of stuff. You know, when they're giving athletes rub downs or, you know, um, around them they hear a lot and their strength and conditioners hear a lot too. So understanding what the, their role is from a mental skills point of view becomes really, really important as well as the coaches. And it's like anything, some really value this space, some don't value it so much. So I'm lucky I've been able to work with a lot of people who do value it, so it certainly makes my job a lot easier. Mm. Well, I think you've done a really fantastic job of, I guess, breaking down exactly what it is, the, the work that you're doing. Um, so many amazing sound bites in that sort of past 10 minutes. I can see Tom just furiously writing mm -hmm. notes. I think I'd love to jump into um, your story so we can start to understand more about you and how yeah. this became so important. Um, if I could ask you the question of where your story began, if you could walk us through that and the experiences you've faced, perhaps that could shed some light on how you've ended up pursuing coaching mental strengths. Oh, look, it's luck. Um, I certainly didn't ever think this is where I'd be. I <laughs> went overseas, you know, um, went to school in Christchurch, went with your parents. Um, yeah. You know, Linwood High in those days, it was pretty good school. Finished, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Went overseas for three years, had a great time. Came back, went to university, uh, trained as a social worker. Really enjoyed that working, like, wanted um, to work with young people. So, trained as a social worker five years and then worked in youth justice, um, worked at PMH, worked in some residence with young people. Really enjoyed that space, working with young people. Um, what then, made that such a special experience, working with young people? Because I think that sets you up quite well to understand people in general because pe young people inherently are more vulnerable. And Look, It's one of those things, I don't know. I mean, the old man was, um, he was really into computers. Like He we were born in England. Dad used to work for IBM in, in England. This is, again, 40-odd years, 45 now. Shit, long time ago. Um, <laughs> years ago, and those are the days where computers took up whole rooms. Yeah. You know, massive. And so he came over here. So Dad was really into fixing things. Uh, Mum was a nurse and she was into care, so I probably got both those two things. I want to fix things and I care about people, so then you kind of fell into this. So I was always 
the guy at the party when there's always someone upset sitting in the corner talking shit to someone because they're upset at the party, you know? It's just one of those things I've always enjoyed doing. Uh, always enjoy working with young people. So, as I said, social worker for four, five or six years, got to a point where I knew I could work with people I wanted more, so I went back to university and did my master's in counselling. Um, and that's when I fell into this space. So the one of the papers you could do is like a mini thesis um, and you could choose the topic. And I just didn't really know what to do. And again, this is the luck part. Uh, the supervisor there was a guy called Bob Monti, who was a Canadian guy. Um, he was a big basketball fan here. He used to do all the commentary in New Zealand for, for basketball. So he said to me, why don't you do something around sports psychology? And I went, sure, what am I going to do? And he goes, I don't know. So <laughs> that's helpful, wasn't it? Well, it was good because yeah. it left it pretty open. Yeah, um, absolutely. And again, it wasn't. This wasn't like I'm going to do this because I want to work in mental skills. It's like let's just run with this. So I rang uh, Gilbert and Iker at the time, but he was busy with the All Blacks. So there was another guy in Christchurch called Ashley Light, uh, who worked in those days at Academy of Sport. And I said, "Look, can you supervise me for a couple of years?" And he goes, "Sure." So we well, I did a lot of reading, a lot of interviews. At the time, I was working at St Andrews, so I used the kids as almost crash test dummies to try stuff on. Um, was that in the sports space? Yeah, or was so it I was looking at, how do, you know, how do you kind of develop sports psychology? Because there's still no papers in New Zealand or degrees you can do in sports psychology in New Zealand. It's all in Australia and overseas. So I just kind of looked at using a, a solution-focused model of counselling. Can you use that from a mental skills sports psychology point of view? And just played around with it. And so I did that for a couple of years. I'd... Knew a lot of the cricket boys, Canterbury boys at the time. So a couple of them said, look, can you happy to work with me? I went, sure. I had no idea what I was doing. I just <laughs> tried stuff. Um, some of it was terrible. Some of it was probably okay. Uh, How did it, it feel stepping out at that time? Because I imagine this was... A oh, it was chaos, mate. Yeah. I don't know what the hell I was doing. It was just like, I don't know what I'm doing, but let's just... But again, it came back to let's form a relationship. Let's understand this person and let's try stuff. Um, and we did. And it kind of evolved. And again, this is the luck part. New Zealand rugby at the time, and in those days it was Spark. I can't remember what Spark stood for. Wanted to go, right, how do we grow this space? Because there wasn't many people in New Zealand doing it. Mm. So I got invited with about seven, eight other young ones, because we were young then, um, <laughs> to go to Wellington once or twice a year, hosted by New Zealand rugby. And Ken Hodge, Dave Hatfield, uh, Rod Corb and Gary Hermison are kind of the godfathers or grandfathers of sports psychology. He's on. We'd almost have a peer um, education weekend where we just talk mental skills, sports psychology. So that's a huge opportunity to oh, get mentorship from those. That's, that's massive, oh, and amazing. And that well, what it did because I think previously it was quite a closed shop and it just <clears> opened everything up. Um, and so we'd just sit there and just listen to them and just be writing furiously, and they'd go, "Well, what do you guys think?" We go, well, "We ain't thinking, mate. We're just writing. You know, we just <laughs> just sat there and just learned." talked and those relationships are still solid today so it was just right place right time um, around it so we had some amazing experiences that three or four years um, to build it up and, and from there it kind of brought into a mental skills sports site collective um, and then you know it's kind of grown from there basically so and again fell into it so I was working with cricket again just by chance I had a mate he was working with the Black Caps as their physio I happened to be at a conference he was there and he said to me oh Gary Hermison's here who was the Black Caps sports psych at the time, and he goes, he wants to have a chat to you. Gary goes, look, you know, are you happy to work with the Canary team? You know, there's a bit of money for it. I'm going, sure, I've been doing it free for the last two years, so let's keep <laughs> yeah, doing it and get money. So it literally just fell into it. And because it was all so new, you're just learning all the time. And so, you know, I'd read a lot. Um, 
you know, connect with different people. And every time I went overseas, I'd always Google mental skills, sports psychology people, and you'd email 20 people, get 10 replies, you'd meet three of them, and you just sit there and talk um, around it. So it just really evolved from there. Um, and then from there, did a cricket. Um, had, it, had it go, I think. I had a friend, no, I had a friend who was a friend of a friend who was coaching the tactics. So I ended up working with the tactics, and then at that stage, Dave Hewitt was on the board of the tactics, who was an ex-crusader, and he goes, oh, do you want to do the academy for rugby? I went, sure. No idea what the hell I was doing, but I kept going, yeah, I'll do it, and just fell into it and just did some okay stuff. It sounds like it was almost snowballing, right, is that the Mm. next opportunity opened up a relationship with the next opportunity? Yeah, look, it kind of did because no one was doing it. No one. I mean, it's still not a massive field. Well, that's what I was really interested in. Obviously... What you do is exceptionally unique, and like you say, it's a very small field. Um, and you're getting, I suppose, led into a lot of gate-kept areas to do the work you do. Yep. So I'm really, really fascinated to hear that the way you kind of got in there, it just fell into serendipity. Time. Yeah, it wasn't like, you know, yeah. finish my master's right, I want to be a mental skills sports psych. It was like, let's just see what this goes. And so I was still working full-time at St Andrews, uh, just doing this on the side, um, and did that for a number of years. And then... Left St Andrews, went to Christ College, and that's where the wellbeing piece. I suppose the wellbeing piece got interested in post earthquakes to eleven because, you know, that was a challenging time for most of us in Christchurch, and that's when that became more of, I suppose, an interest around it, and then started looking into that space, and then it kind of evolved from, in the day, you know, if we're well, we're perform better, and that kind of joined together basically around it. So it's How just much work were you doing with youth around that earthquake time as well? Yeah, quite a bit. It was just a really it was a fascinating time because it was almost it wasn't the earthquake that threw people it was the 10,000 ones afterwards you know and mm. you know a lot of adults really struggled and that probably impacted on their kids struggling too um, around it but you know for a lot of kids the experience wasn't too bad some kids it was really horrific and, and there was still some now who are still struggling with it because for some people it wasn't a great time but a lot of us you know we felt it, it was okay we were safe but lots it wasn't. So that kind of made me interested. Why did some people bounce back and some people struggled to bounce back? Yeah. And I remember the day of it trying to get home. And I remember ending up fishtailing around Christchurch trying to get home because everything was closed and end up going through Brighton or, or just past here. And you know those kind of zombie movies where you see people walking in the street with that kind of just no look Glazed on their face. Look on That's the what it's like. You know, people were in shock. And it's like, yes, fair enough. But I remember, you know, a year later, you still saw that people were still in the state of shock, and that's why I went, oh, what are we missing here? And wellbeing wasn't really a thing that was talked about. Mental health wasn't a thing that was really talked about. Um, we knew it was there, but it wasn't really a thing, and now it's become such a big thing that people are talking about it, um, which is great, but the problem is we were talking about it more, but the services they haven't increased up, yeah. with that, mm. which is another whole podcast um, <laughs> yeah. you know, around it. So, And that's what got me interested in understanding that, well, if we don't, it goes back to what I said before. If we don't understand the person in front of us, how do we actually provide a service to them or support them if we actually don't understand what the problem is? Because often we make assumptions around what the problem is um, around it. So that's the bit I, you know, learning more and more about is, you know, it's not what you know. It's what I'm saying people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so, how do we show care first and foremost, human being versus that, what the human doing? And that's my experience in sport and business. The best leaders aren't the best, most knowledgeable. But that's generally care, you know. And the best coaches show that all the time, and they show it even when there's things to challenge 
you just show up because it's really busy or you're not performing and that's that's the hard piece. We all say we'll do it, but when push comes to shove, it's quite a challenging space. Mm. I've got so many questions yeah, about everything like, you've just oh said. Oh man, there's like a like, hundred things in there. Eh? <laughs> which, yeah. which different area do I go down into? Like I want to know where sport came into the picture. In fact, no, let's, let's, let's go on that because obviously yeah. sport's hugely yep. important to your career and where you're at in terms of the people that you interact with. Was that something you were into growing up? Were you oh, look, yeah, super certainly. sport oriented? Yeah, I mean, I, was, I went to school, ate my lunch and, and played sport. I mean, academically it wasn't, School didn't do it for me, but this goes back to what I was saying. I remember when I was at school, a lot of my mates in those days, you leave at 15. So a lot of the boys kind of were gone by 15, apprenticeships and working. And I was just probably too lazy to work, so I just stayed at school because I didn't really want to work. It's <laughs> um, a very honest answer. Yeah, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And again, I had a part-time gig in those days. Um, the old BP on Cramp Street used to be Europa, so I'm going back a long way now. And I used to work a Friday night there from 4 o'clock to 2 o'clock in the morning and a Sunday 11 to 11, 12 hours. But in those days it was double time. So on a Sunday I used to get paid you know, for 12 hours, 24 hours. And on a Friday night I'd work 10 hours, but after 12 it was time and a half. So I was getting like 34 hours work a week for two days' work. So I had a mate who was an apprentice butcher and I was earning more than him. So, oh, and I started at school. So it's like... Why leave? I'm actually doing okay. Yeah. You know, it's quite good. Yeah, to be honest, it sounds like you're probably the smartest guy at school. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was the only one left there by the end of it. Yeah. Um, but again, in the year, sort of end of year 12, you know, I was an academic, I was kind of okay at sport, but one of the teachers said to me, like, what are you doing next year? And I literally said, look, I don't know. And he goes, well, I think you should come back because you show some leadership and you'd be good for this. But just that little bit of care was probably the reason I went back. Because someone actually mm. said, look, you know, we know, because I was a shit in class, you know, I didn't do any work and I struggled. So I probably wasn't the best student, but they saw those other strengths, and that's a bit about that leadership place, you know. How do you look for strengths in people, not weaknesses? And again, the best leaders, the best coaches, they're very strength-focused. So just that little throwaway remark, I went, okay, I'll come back next year, did my year 13. Um, and look, enjoyed sports. So I went to England, played cricket over for three years, but, you know, ironically, probably mentally, I wasn't good enough in that space to go any higher um, around it, and that's probably gave me the interest later on around this space is, you know, why why do some people perform and some people not? And it's probably the bit, you know, answering that question has been really interesting. Mm. That is absolutely fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. I just wrote down that quote. Yeah. How do you look for strengths in people instead of weaknesses well, we as look, a leader? But we've got negative bias. So we all look for the, the shit. We're all good at it, you know, and that's the reality of it is that, you know, as a parent, you know, there's so many examples, but you get home from work, especially, like, it's not too bad now, our kids aren't, are older, but, you know, I, my daughter's home tonight, I can guarantee I get home, and she's 21, she lives somewhere else though, but she'll leave a bag in the doorway, uh, her shoes will be all over the place, you know, <laughs> and my instant reaction would be, you know, really? But if I actually walk in the house, she's probably emptied the dishwasher, she's probably done the, done some washing, she's probably done something, she's probably studied really well all day, but I'll focus on what she hasn't done. And mm. so because we're so wide for that, we've got to be really intentional around how do we look for the things they have done well? And the best leaders are really good at doing that. That's They're huge, aware. not even just inside leadership, but just in life. terms Parents of relationship, day, right? life. Yeah. I mean, I, I love yeah. how your call-out example is your relationship with your daughter. You know, that I can immediately see affecting people's relationships with their spouses oh. and their colleagues and their teammates. You know, it's, it impl it's, implicates everywhere. We had a guy come over a few years ago, and I've got his name, I should know it, but his wife... Um, Oh, I've got her name too. It'll come to me as we go through this. Um, <laughs> Lee, 
Lee, whatever her name is. But anyway, she wrote the book called The Strength Switch. And so she's kind of the guru on, on character strengths and strengths. And he gives this really good example of, you know, for him to come over here to do this talk, like she's a professor um, at, at a university. So for him to come over here for three days to do this talk, she has to change her whole schedule. You know, she's full on, couple of kids, full time work. And he says, so she'd change that schedule just for him. He'd come over here, do this talk. And he goes, when I get home, he goes, she's got this really bad habit of leaving the keys in the front door. And he goes, it just does his head in because it's like security's quite hard if you leave the keys in the front door. <laughs> and so for him, he knows this. And he knows he'll get home and what will happen, the keys will be in the front door. So instead of kind of going, well, she's done all the sacrifice for me to come here, the first thing he'd say to her is, left the keys in the front door. And she'd be sitting there going, you bastard, I've taken, <laughs> changed my schedule for three days for you, yeah. done all these things, and the first thing you say to me is a negative. And we all do it. Oh, it's so, I'm just thinking about the relationship with my wife and how that, that changes. Oh, look, I know this shit and I still get it wrong. That's what I'm saying. It's our ability, how do we practice changing that lens of, you know, what are they doing well first and foremost? And it's not about pumping tyres up that aren't worth pumping or need to be pumping, but it is about looking for the things they're doing well. And it's no different with athletes when we talk to them, you know. So when they're reviewing their goals, you know, first of all, the question is, what was your goal? The second question is, what went well? You know, so we actually get them to think about what went well, not because otherwise they go, yeah, what went well, but then what didn't go well? No, what went well and then what did you learn? So we're changing that narrative around how we see things because we're so used Turn to Turn the negative into a learning. Hey, we just wanted to interrupt this episode to say thank you so much for listening to the Progress Podcast. It really is a dream of ours to bring these stories to life and we really couldn't do it without your support. If you feel like you've gained any value or have learned something incredible from these conversations, we would so appreciate a subscription from you on this platform. We really want you to join us on the Progress journey and join the Progress community. Let's get back to the episode. It's funny, I'll, I'll expose myself a little bit here. One thing that um, actually helped me learn the principles we were just talking about is um, actually it was Tom who helped me understand this. He had put up some content. What are you going to say, Jack? No, no, it's good, it's good. <laughs> he put up some, it makes me look bad. He uh, put up some content uh, over the weekend for the podcast and a friend messaged me, I was like, hey, do you know there's a spelling mistake in that? And I'd been away for the weekend, Tom had put in all this work and the first thing I sent him was, hey man, just letting you know there's a spelling mistake in this. And he was like, don't do that again. And I felt like such a dick. Because I then took a step back and realized, oh, right, he has just put in all this work and I've just told him there's a spelling mistake with no gratitude. Um, but it's funny, I think about it every single time I need to talk to Tom now. It's actually helped reframe my mind the way you mentioned. But it's a good example. Mm. I was at a conference ages ago and a guy did a similar thing. He, he was doing these slides and it was an education workshop. And teachers are the worst to do things with PowerPoints because anything you do wrong, they're onto it, you know? Yeah. And so he had one slide and it had like, say it was 10 words on it and one was about wrong. And as he's talking through the slide, you can almost see the teacher in the room just kind of getting a bit of a little Because they'd spotted it, you know? And I was sitting there, and I'm dyslexic, so I didn't see any mistake. I thought it was fine, so I didn't pick up on it. And uh, he finished the slide and he goes, oh, any questions before we move on? You know, 10 hands shoot up. He goes, yeah. he goes, oh, you've spelt, so it was ca- character wrong. He goes, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? And they go, what's that? And he goes, well, this is the 10th slide. I probably had 200 words up. You didn't tell me the other 200 was spelt right. You know? And that's a good example of we just yeah. look for the negative, mm. not the positive. And it's the same with you, what you did there. So mm. how do we practice our ability to step back and go, there is a mistake there, but out of the 400 words he's done, 
399 are right. Mm. This one that's wrong. And so how do we build people up? You can still say, look, hey, this is really good, but are you aware? But the first thing often we go to is that negative. And if you look at that leadership point of view, you can't lead people if they don't trust you. You can't lead people if they don't think you generally care. Because people aren't stupid. And particularly kids, and I used to see this when I worked in education, you know, you can, teachers can't fool kids. The kids aren't stupid around how they're actually treated. And the, the best teachers, my experience, and I hear the kids talk about, the ones who are consistent, whether they're consistently strict or consistently not strict, but the ones who are in between, that's what they didn't like. And that goes back to that leadership space. The leaders who are consistent and show up the same each day are the ones you can be followed. You can follow because if they're inconsistent, how they turn up, you don't know what you're getting. And so that's it's kind of understanding. Really that's super to me because I vividly remember I had this mm. amazing maths teacher uh, at Christ's high school, uh, Kerry McDonald, who was a fantastic maths teacher, really great. Probably the most strict teacher I've ever had. Yep. Um, I remember when I started in year nine, sort of moving in from intermediate school into Christ's finding her very intimidating, knowing she was a great teacher, but she was strict every day for, I think I had her for three years. But I look back on that very fondly and think, man, she was a great maths teacher. Yep. Because she was consistent. Mm -hmm. And as I'm saying, what we didn't like with COVID was the inconsistency of what's going to happen. We don't like the unknown. So if you turn up and you know if you're two minutes late, this is what's going to happen compared to one day you turn up late to class, nothing happens, next day you get slammed. Then you're kind of going... You know, that makes no sense. And this goes back to, you know, the best leaders are generally more consistent with how they do things. The best athletes or performers are the ones who are more consistently in their performance. And that's the bit about, we get confused about what good leadership is. It's not being this charismatic, brave heart, you know, get up there talking. It's the one who can actually turn up to work, be really consistent about how they do things. And I think at times that's not talked about enough. The ones who know how to pump you up, but also the ones who can hit you between the eyes, because we need that too. But the only way you can do that is actually having those relationships and building that safety around that relationship. It's funny that you mention it. Um, it's got me thinking around this principle and it's kind of answered a question in my mind around why you've had such success in your leadership and leading others is, um, you know, I, I've known you for a long time. You've had the same haircut. You've worn the same pair of Crocs. <laughs> yeah. You are probably the most consistent man I think I've ever met. I don't want to don't want to break the ice here, but I think Jack described you as the most meat and potatoes man he's ever met. <laughs> you were talking to my wife very much, though. Very very yeah. consistent. Yeah, <laughs> I'm curious. Do you think that that has played a large role in your ability to lead others? Um, look, I've been. I use that word luck, or you can say fortunate. I've had some amazing mentors in my mm. life, and through sport, you come up with some amazing people. And so I've been able to bump up against people who have been incredibly successful and kind of learn from them as much as hopefully they can learn from me around it. Um, but that consistency piece is hard, but that comes back to that well-being piece. If you look after yourself, you've got more chance of being consistent. You know, I know I'm a good father and a good partner, all these things, when I'm an 8 out of 10, 7 out of 10 looking after myself. If I'm a 3 out of 10, I'm crap. I'm grumpy, I'm stressed, I'm disengaged, um, I'm probably not great to be around. So... You know, understand what you need to do for yourself on a daily basis so you can be consistent becomes really important. And generally, we're not going to put in a high price on that. You know, We will put a high price in helping everyone else out, but we don't put a high price in managing ourselves. How do we learn those skills? Because I'm thinking about myself right now. Yeah. I had a fantastic morning at work. I was exceptionally productive. I got to the afternoon and I probably haven't been looking after myself that fantastically this week. Yep. I haven't gotten enough sleep. Um myriad of things and my workload dropped off and all of a sudden the stress in my head built up. Yep. What 
do I need to do to start identifying the things that are going to make my well-being better yep. so that everything I do is better? Well, there's a couple of things around <coughs> to answer that. One is <coughs> we're geared to work about six hours a day. Okay, Most of us work eight to ten. <coughs> so it's about crafting a day that allows you to physically and mentally refresh. So kind of 90 minutes within... <coughs> excuse me, after 90 minutes, you should already be stopping, pause and having a break. We're not very good at doing that. Mm. You know, we tend just to keep slogging through. So crafting a day where you're stopping and pausing, and when I say stop and pause, it could just be <coughs> getting up from the desktop, just moving around the office, getting your eyes moving a wee bit more, getting a drink, engaging with someone. It could be ringing home. It could be getting some fresh air outside. We're not going to put doing those little things very, very well. So crafting a day where you're having breaks, nutrition, Generally, we're not very good at doing that. We eat pretty badly. <clears throat> Even the th stuff we think is healthy isn't that healthy um, around it. You talked about sleep, putting a high price on that you know, because often we don't. But also, it's, I suppose, Jack, it's reflecting on when you're at your best, what does your week start looking like? So for athletes, what we're getting to do, and some do this better than others, particularly when they're younger, is start you know, keeping a door of your week, you know, how much sleep you're getting, what you're eating, what you're doing during the week, how you're training, what your mindset is, what your energy is, all these different things, all this data, I suppose. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when we get that, and I say I catch up with an athlete today, right? Let's catch up in three weeks' time. Three weeks, three weeks' time they're done. That we can go right. How you been? Yeah, great. How you performing? Yeah, great. Okay. Let's see what the themes are. What are the common mm. themes around that you're learning about yourself from a human being point of view, looking after yourself to a performance point of view that you're starting to learn. So, okay, well here's some big rocks. We know when you get a good night's sleep, that's really important. So let's start putting a high price on that. We're learning around actually socially it's really important to you to be around people so let's put a high price on that. Or actually not being around people is really important to you. So it's almost, I use the analogy, it's like um, if we go to finish this and go to McDonald's and we're in the, say, Rickard and get a Big Mac, okay? And then we go to McDonald's at Hormie and get a Big Mac, it's the same Big Mac, doesn't matter where you go. The reason it's the same, it's the same recipe and it's the same ingredients. You put the same recipe and the same ingredients in, what do you get? Consistency. So it's understanding what's your recipe and what are your ingredients and then put a high price on that. That's great. Yeah, you write that down, Tom. That was fantastic. That answers the question perfectly. But, but the problem is, Jack, is we don't. We, we don't do that. As, as we no. do it, <coughs> generally we do it for two or three weeks and we get bored. And so, we, again, so we do this with athletes and I go, right, this will be under threat in two situations. What are the two situations? One, when you're winning because we get lazy and take shortcuts. Yep. Or two, when we're losing, because we start changing things. So it's understanding that we can't get bored with excellence, and we generally do. So it's about what are those little things you're prepared to do every single day. It's almost, I don't know if you guys read Atomic Habits, but it's a good yep. book. Mm. You know, those little things each day that no one else sees, but will make a difference. So again, this athlete before, she's had a really good season, breakout from kind of juniors into seniors, had a really good year on the world stage. And one of her key habits she's learnt now is when she finishes training back home that she has to bring her dinner with her to eat on the way home because if she doesn't eat and get caught in traffic, she doesn't get the recovery she needs. Okay, So it's a simple shift from making yeah. sure she's got her dinner packed, ready to go when she goes and does her training to go home and eat it in the car on the way home. Now, if you said to her, why, is it, why are you successful? And she said that to you, you go, What? <laughs> what do you mean? That's what it really happened. is the 1%. Well, it's understanding what those 1%ers are. I mean, you look yeah. at a house, what holds a house up is the 1%. It's nails, the smallest part of the house. It's what holds the house up. Okay? Foundations, because most people's foundations are quite similar. And the high performance level, your foundation, how they train, their weight train, their nutrition, all that shit, it's all the same, pretty much. Okay? Mm. But the difference is those little things, the nails. 
So what are those little things you need to do on a consistent basis from, you know, if you've got to stretch for 10 minutes, you stretch for 10, not nine, not nine and a half, not eight, you stretch for 10. You know, when you've got to do something for this amount of time, you actually do it. And that's, you know, so cliche stuff I'm afraid, but the ones who are more disciplined and I suppose um, prepared to do those little things really well, generally are the ones who have performed better. And you see it all the time as, you know, you watch whether it's rugby or cricket, they're just, you know, often, this is what Scott Robinson was regular at, he talked to the players about, how do you master your craft? How do you get the best in the world at one or two things? Not 50 things, at one or two things. I was thinking about this on the way here, actually, or, or thinking about it today. The idea of athletes, and I kind of had this epiphany that athletes aren't, you know, masters of rugby or masters of cricket or any athletic, they're masters of discipline, and it doesn't matter what, they chose their masters of discipline. You said something around, we get bored with excellence. How do we stay focused or keep pushing for that? What, what can you tell us there? Well, well, the first thing we've got to practice focus. I mean, how often do you practice being focused? Never. Exactly. Never. So how many times were you told to focus at school or concentrate? Most of the time, I yeah. would imagine. <laughs> and how many classes did you go to on how to focus and concentrate? None. None. So, but I think <clears throat> I'm going to jump in here because that's one of the things that I've noticed I've placed a little bit of a focus on recently, learning techniques to help focus or promote focus. You'll be super familiar with like the Pomodoro technique and how that operates, but that's been super helpful for me yeah. actually going out of my way to figure out how do I best operate and focus because there's a million techniques. 100%. And they're all boring as big shit. That's the problem. Is yeah. that when we do these things, they're not focus exercises aren't sexy. You don't feel any better afterwards. That's the problem. Um, and often we use the quote, you know, focus is the currency of performance. Where's your attention need to be at the right time? Because our attention shifts all the time. We're not very good at holding focus. And the problem with the technology now, we don't have to be. We have to be less focused now because you can just sit there and aimlessly scroll through things. So. Often I, especially younger athletes, I'll, I'll talk to them, okay, well, if focus is important in your sport, tell me when you focus. And they go, well, I don't. Okay, well, how can we train this? Well, most of them are studying or at school. Perfect. If you're still at school, you get six periods a day to what? Practice focusing. Actually go to class, sit down, and practice focusing. And when you find your focus shifting, which it will, just have a nice wheeze breath, almost like a river in your head, let the thought go, come back and practice focusing again. But, you know, a lot of people go, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And you see them two weeks later, how'd your focus go? Yeah, didn't do it. So the reality is if we're not preparing and strengthening that focus, when the, when, when the pressure comes on, we're not going to be able to hold that focus because the brain will go survival. It doesn't want to be in an unsafe situation. You, you're performing on the world stage. If, like, if we're sitting here now, we had 50,000 people watching you guys for any mistakes, and when you made a mistake, they jeered you and yelled your name out. How are you feeling I feel like pretty self-conscious, <laughs> pretty horrible. <laughs> but only if you're actually listening to that. So the example I use is, you know, distractions, pressure, all that kind of stuff. It's like when you go to a cafe and the music's playing. Okay, when you're focused on the person you're talking to, guess what? You don't hear the music. It's still going. When you lose focus, what happens? Kicks back in. You can hear the music. So it's our ability to actually focus on what we need to do, and we're not very good at doing that, because often we'll be having a conversation, and then my phone starts ringing, or my watch starts ringing, or someone walks past, so we're consistently moving our focus mm. around. So the ability to actually practice focusing is one of the key currencies, and people don't do it enough nowadays. You know, when we were younger, we used to go to Kaiteri, 
you know, get in the car, Dad would say, get in the car, shut up and talk to me in six hours' time when we get there, you know. Now you've got your iPad, you've got your iPhone, you've got... So the kids don't need to be bored anymore. They don't need to sit out the window and actually, OK, let's just keep myself occupied. So we've, we've taken away one of the key skills we need and we just entertain kids now. And there's another whole podcast there too um, around it. But, but it's interesting and I think it's an interesting narrative to quickly touch on in today's landscape because you said you coach a lot of youth athletes or yep. people at that peak level of performance at a young age. These sorts of people are being absolutely saturated by short-form media content, the perpetual scroll, the yep. TikTokification of social media, if you want to mm. call it that. Everything is short form. Everything is addictive to keep the brain hooked in that space and essentially minimise attention span. Completely. How how do you train people or help them construct a narrative outside of that? Because it's quite countercultural. Mm. Completely. And look, there's some coaches who will go, look, you know, I might go, I've got a six-minute video I want to show them. They go, oh, that's too long. Can you make it shorter? I'm going, why? Well, you know, the, the players struggled. I'm going, well... Do we not want them to struggle? Do we not actually want them to actually have to practice focusing? So we have this whole thing of everything's getting smaller and smaller to keep people entertained. And look at sport, you know, test cricket now to 2020 cricket. We'll probably get smaller again um, around it. So for me, when I'm working with anyone, it's the, the first question is what are your goals? Because that will dictate how deep we go. Now, if they want to be world class, okay, I'm on that right. Let's go with that. But if you want to be world class, this is what it has to now look like for you. So then it becomes not me saying you've got to focus, no, but if you want to be world-class, this is what you now have to do if you choose to. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. Well, let's just be average-class. If you want to train 20 hours a week and be average-class, I'm happy with that if that's what you want to do, but generally they don't want to do that. So it's, it, the motivation has to come from them. I always say to athletes, if I'm working more than you on this, I'm out. Because you know, I still do a lot of you know, work with athletes who can't, you know, who can't pay because they can't afford it because it's... It's not easy to get access to mental skills at times. And I always say to them, I'm happy to work free for you, but if I'm working harder than you, I'm out. You've got to be working harder than me. So it's up to them what they choose to do. And as I said, there's lots of exercises they can do. There's lots of apps, which is counterproductive at times, that they can use to practice some of this stuff. You're clearly very passionate about yeah. it, though, because you're giving people away this service for free. Why? Why are you so passionate about helping oh, people? Look, my philosophy way? is rob from the rich, give to the poor. So that's why we... It's very Robin Hood attitude. Very much so. <laughs> um, but it's around, you know, if we can do... You know, we do a bit of corporate stuff and that allows us then to make a living. So I can't do it free but all the time because I still have to pay a mortgage. But the reality is I don't want this to be a, a stopping point for someone to be good at what they want to do, you know, around it. So as I said, I'm happy, I don't want to get 100 phone calls after this, but I'm happy to work <laughs> with people if they're prepared to work. And, and some really are, and sometimes they just haven't got the opportunity to do it, you know, and they're, or they're not in the system yet because the system's very much around outcome success. I mean, you haven't got that outcome success, you actually don't get access to these resources basically around it. So, but look, it's like you guys. Are you guys getting paid to do this? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> so why are you doing it? Because you enjoy doing it. You know, you want to get yeah. better at it. Well, I want to get better at my job. You know, there's, you don't get to in this role and go, right, I'm, I'm good enough now. You're always looking to get better. So the only way you get better is actually doing it. So for me, the more I can do it, the more I can keep reflecting. Is it, you know, that work, if it did work, why? If it didn't work, why? You just want to get better. You said something right at the beginning of the podcast about putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. Yeah. And why is that so important? And I'm really glad we got the chance to circle back to that. Because to me, and we've, we've heard it time and time again from every person on the podcast, whether they're a high-level innovator or whether they're a photographer performing on the world stage, 
they've all actively put themselves in uncomfortable situations. Why is that so important? Because most people live their lives in comfort zone and avoidance zone, and they think that's life. In the what two zones? The comfort, comfort zone, zone or avoidance zone? Avoidance. <coughs> so we sit things which are comfortable and we avoid things which are uncomfortable. Now the reality is we've all got one life and it's like, for me, the way to live that life is doing things that will challenge you. You know, and when mm. I say it, it's not every single day, you don't have to climb Mount Everest to challenge yourself, but you can challenge yourself in so many ways. And you know, it's the old quote, we regret more things we don't do than we do do. And so for me, from a sporting context, we talk about how do you get comfortable being uncomfortable? Because the reality is if you're uncomfortable, generally it's growth. You know, if you're at the gym and you're not uncomfortable, my guess is you're doing jack shit. If you're at the gym and you're pushing yourself, my guess is it's going to be uncomfortable. So, you know, if we want to, for me, if I want to um, role model what I'm encouraging others to do, well, I've got to do it myself too, basically around it. And look, it's, you know, <laughs> we, we fear the same stuff. We fear failure. We fear judgment. We fear fitting in. And it's around how do we actually bump up against those things more often. Because Do you think as Kiwis so, we're worse at that? I think, well, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I've, no, I think we're kind of okay. I, I just think as Kiwis we carry the hashtag humble too much. You know, we're not very good at actually saying, well, I'm actually quite good at this. You know, mm. we, we confuse arrogance with confidence at times. You know, we want people to be confident in who they want to be and that's the key part is... Um, you know, how do you allow, you know, again, from a team point of view or a leadership point of view, how do you allow people to actually have the freedom to be who they want to be? Because think how many times in your life you've been in a situation and you haven't been your true self because you're scared of judgment, you're scared of failure, or you're scared of what people are going to say about you. And we all have it. And it's like, well, how do we create environments where people can be themselves? And the best coaches do that. They actually go out there and create an environment which is about being authentic you. And that's when athletes perform the best. Now, what goes with that is there's some uncomfortable moments beforehand. And someone summed up really nicely the other day. They said, look, you know, you go and watch a love story movie or an action movie, it's always the heroes here, and then something really bad happens, and they persevere, and they come out the other end, and it's a happy ending. <laughs> well, we don't go to a movie where the heroes here, shit happened, nothing really happens, and then it's the end. We mm. go to a movie where something happens, and they've got to you know, work through it or fight through it, mm. and they come out the other end, and they've shown resilience, and it's a happy ending. Well, that's life too. It's almost what you do. You help people pursue their hero's journey. Um, yeah, look, I think there's a lot of us do. I mean, it's been saying there's around an athlete, you know, we're just doing reviews from post um, Budapest and, and sometimes there's 10 or 12 people in that room for one athlete. You know, Crusaders management, there's about 22. All Blacks, I think it's about 32. So there's a lot wow. of people around these athletes supporting them from many different phases. And it's no different... You know, for you guys, we've all got uh, people around us, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's mentors, whatever it is. We've all got those people. And, you know, my journey, I've had some amazing mentors. You know, I've had people who have given their time. That's probably where I'm going, well, if they're going to give me time, how do you pay it forward? Will you give your time too? Basically around it. You know, and that's how you create the legacy and that's how you create things moving forward with it. So I've had really amazing people that have been a role model how I want to be, but they've shown how to be. So, and that's from my parents to friends and family and to obviously mentors. Oh man, I just want to mm. condense down everything you said. I feel like people need to seek out mentors. I love what you yep. said about how mm. you having a mentor has yep. made you want to pay it forward. And I think people don't see in a holistic view of life. They can think in the now, maybe a few years ahead, but they can't see. You know, you've got 80 years, 
yep. what does life look like in 40? Yep. And they can't see that. So I think that was so valuable. And um, oh gosh, the, the second thing's kind of just eluded me after bringing that, that was out. That good though. But that was good. Um, oh, it was actually this other thought I was having um, around seeking out struggle. Um, mm. Something Tom shared with me. Um, it was this idea that someone can have 10 years experience, but in reality, they actually only have one because they've yeah. never sought struggle. They've done the same thing 10 years in a row. Yeah, but often we talk about you don't gain an experience by having an experience. You gain an experience by reflecting on the experience. And I already agree is that a lot of people have played sport for 10 years, but they haven't learned how to get better in 10 years. So that reflection piece is important. So, you know, if I was talking to you guys, I'd say, look, post this podcast, you guys need to sit down and go, right, what was your goal for this podcast? And what did you learn from this podcast? Because that's how you get better. So how do you reflect on it? Because generally what we do, and the sport's bad for this, is when things go well, we go, shit, that was great. When things don't go bad, we drill down and have massive reviews. So we wait to the bad stuff. Well, when things are going well, you still have to reflect on, why did that go well? What was, what was so good about this podcast? What allowed it to flow? What didn't allow it to flow? That's the growth. That's your experience part. Because if you don't learn anything, you're not getting an experience. You're just, you're just gone through life. And a lot of people I see athlete-wise have played millions of games, but they're no better for it. And some have played 10 games, but they've learned so quick, man, they're on. And they're, you know, the best athletes learn quicker. That's, that's the only difference. They're not more skillful. They just learn quicker. They adapt quicker and they get on with it quicker. Same with business. You've got to be nimble. That feels like such a key to life. I mm. feel like I could apply that to every single thing I do. And I know for a fact that I don't reflect enough. No, and do, no one does. The vast majority of people spend zero time reflecting. Yeah. And, and that's where, whether it's lucky or not lucky, all the sports I work with, it's reflection all the time because every week you're being assessed. And it's the staff too. You know, around it. You know, if you don't do a good job, you, you're out. Now that, that's, if you know you're doing a good job, sometimes you get the contract the next year. So the ability to keep reflecting all the time becomes important. And every week it's a reflection, all right, how was the week? You know, I remember maybe the second season of the Crusaders, you know, they'd done really well and they won the first one, going well the second season, we're doing a bit of reflection. And everyone was sitting there going, you know, around the table, yeah, things are going well. I said, hold on, let's do a reflection from we've just lost the last three games. Let's do that reflection. Because when you reflect when you're winning, Everyone's, yay, it's all great. And it is great. But winning hides the cracks too. So let's imagine we lost three last three games. Would we be saying the same things? And that's the key mm. thing. You know, for you guys and, and this podcast or business people, how do we reflect deep and actually be really honest with it? Because we're not very good at doing that. Because we're not very good at giving people feedback. Um, sport's really brutal with feedback. You're either picked or you're not picked. It's pretty simple. But often they're very good at giving that really clear feedback where um, most of us don't like feedback because it's confrontational. Um, people don't, you know. People always say, "I want feedback until you give them the feedback, and then they don't like that feedback because I want the nice <laughs> feedback." Mm. But we've all got yeah. blind spots, you know. And that's I'm saying that's where that mentorship comes in. You know, you want someone who's always going to challenge you. You want someone who gives you unconditional love. You want someone you can have fun with. You want someone who's going to, you know, um, hit you between the eyes. I mean, you just want all these different people in your lives to actually ask those questions because that's how you get better. Somebody described this to me really well around <clears throat> the relationship between a mentor and a mentee or between yeah. two equals. Yeah. The ability to approach any situation with kind candor or kind candidness. Yeah. You've developed enough rapport, you understand the person in front of you that when you have to have those uncomfortable mm. conversations, it's okay. 
yep. because you've got that background and that rapport and you understand yep. the person that you're actually being kind by being candid with yep. them. And I often call them authentic conversations because often we talk about candor or challenging. Well, if you've been authentic, it's just a normal conversation. Because yeah. the thing of the time is that you're not being authentic because you actually don't say what you want to say. So for me, it's how do you practice having authentic conversations? And as you said, Tom, it's understand it's coming from a place of care. Now, I care about you so much, Tom, I actually want you to get better. So I think this could be helpful for you. What you do with it is up to you. But it's around how do you create, again, it goes back to that environment and that relationship. If you haven't got the relationship, you're not going to listen. Because you know, I always say this to coaches, if you're going to drop a player, just tell them they're dropped and then you talk to them to the next day. Because it doesn't matter what you say to them after they've been dropped, they aren't listening. They're already grumpy, they're already shitty. So tell them they're dropped and next day go back and send them for feedback. Yeah. But I think we've got to get better at creating an environment where there is some really good conflict, there is some difference of opinion. And um, I look at the successful teams, not in team sports but other sports too, where there is some really robust discussion and it's really uncomfortable mm. because you're being challenged. Did you do a good enough job? Great question. I've got to be able to justify whether I did or I didn't. Really uncomfortable because you feel everyone's looking at you and it's, what have I done wrong? But it's actually, no, actually, let's think about this. Did I do a good job? And if I didn't, great. There's a gap. Let's close that. But not many people do that. Mm. I watched this fantastic um, mini documentary about the head of rowing at Christ's, yeah, Tony, Tony O'Connor. Yeah. Did you, have you seen the, the, I can't remember what the company's called that did it, but the My Coach or yeah. as we mini doc series yeah. about his journey. The thing that really struck me about Tony's journey from coaching, from performing on the world stage as a lightweight yep. rower yep. to coaching Christ teams and now the international NZ Men's 8 who yep. won at the Olympics, um, his whole piece was around caring for that team. But the amount of times they mentioned throughout that, that story, the uncomfortable conversations that he had to have and reaching the team and challenging people on their positions yep. um, – even within, um, I can't remember who used to be stroke on the boat, but pushing him back to seat number eight. Ha yeah, Hamish, uh, Hamish, Hamish Bond. Yeah. yeah, Hamish Bond. Amazing New Zealand rower, yeah. wanting to be stroke. We're actually the best place in the boat for him was seat number eight at the back of the boat where he was out of the way and the team could do their best. That's a massively uncomfortable conversation to have with a high-performance yep. athlete. Look, it is, but it comes back to what your philosophy is. Is it team first? Mm. It's team first. It's a really easy decision. It's like values, yeah. you know. If you're clear on your values, decision-making is quite easy. Does it get you closer to your value or further away from it? If you're clear on your goals, decision-making is easy. Does it get you closer to your goals or further away from it? Sometimes the ability to commit to that decision is the hard part. And that's what I'm saying. If mm. you're really clear on where you're going, you know, if you want to be a high-performing athlete and you're driving home and you're really hungry and there's a McDonald's there, decision's really easy. Don't go. Because it's not going to get you closer to your goal. It's a hard decision to make because that's an instant feat. And that's quite nice. It, fill, you know, it fills you up. So mm. if you're clear on values and goals, you're clear on your vision, life is a lot easier, but a lot of people aren't. You ask most people post-25, what are your goals? What do you reckon their answers are? No yeah, idea. A shrug. What do you mean? <laughs> Survive? Get through the week? You know? And that's what I'm saying. You know, we've got a lot of people in the world today who are, who are surviving. Yeah. They're just getting through and they don't realise there's, there's other options out there for them. Will it be hard? Of course it will be. It's not, this isn't meant to be easy. But too often we want the easy option. On this idea of survival, um, I learned some really interesting things about statistics of death rates and um, the Korean War of American prisoners in yep. minimum security prisons. Uh, essentially what they did was they asked the prisoners of war 
whether or not, uh, or if they had a plan of what they would do when they got home and how much money they'd need to make that happen. And everyone without an answer or not a clear vision was put in minimum security. Yep. The people with a purpose and a vision were put in maximum security. And what happened was, this is the only war in history, I think, where minimum security death rates rose for American prisoners of war. Yep. Sickness rates went up. And in the maximum security, all of the escapes started to raise. Because yep. all the people with a purpose were all in one place. Yep. Really, really interesting how being driven and have a purpose it's funny how it plays in with that idea of survival because it's more than survival at that point. It's yep. Look, it's your mindset piece, and we're not, you know, we're not taught around mindset, and you know, there's so much research around. I mean, one a simple shift from there's a research, and I think it was New York with people cleaning hotels, mm. and when they said to the cleaners, "Look, do you realise you're burning this amount of calories in your job? So let's see your job as exercise. Let's not just see it as a job, see it as exercise." So next minute they had a purpose in their job. Now, just by seeing the job as exercise, they all lost weight, their heart rate came down, and there was some other measurement coming it was, all came down by doing the same job, but they saw it was exercise. Okay, so that's that purpose piece. So I'm not going to work just wow. to work, I'm actually going to work now to get fit. So that mindset, this is how powerful mindset is. When they did the same research with two um, milkshakes, one was seen as being a, you know, a really sweet one, a really, you know, like a unhealthy one and one was seen as being really healthy. They're both the same milkshakes, okay? But the one who was seen as being more healthy, the people were fuller for longer compared to the one that was seen as unhealthy, okay? So this is how strong the mind is. The placebo effect is massive. And this is that perception piece of, you know, what is your purpose? And again, you ask most people, what are you doing? They don't know, and that's where I'm lucky in sport. They're really clear. They want to go somewhere. Mm. And that, they, they can tie into that purpose around it. And as they get older... It goes from winning stuff to, to legacy stuff to a bit more meaning. When they're younger, it's about making teams and doing that kind of stuff, but they eventually realise that's fool's gold, it doesn't work. So, But it's the same with us in, in mainstream population. You know, you know, if you're a teacher, you think when a teacher first became a teacher, it was about changing the world, it was about educating the, the next generation. Mm. But would that be the same answer to a 55-year-old teacher who's got 10 years to go? Possibly not. The good ones, yes. So... That purpose bit becomes massive, and again, it's that le- it goes back to that leadership piece in, in business. How do you create a purpose for your staff to come to work? Because we know there's a point where money actually doesn't make any difference. You know, you can keep mm. paying them more if you want to, but you're not getting anything more out of them. Mm. But does that work create meaning for them? And that meaning and purpose piece is a massive piece. And again, I go back to you know, Scotty Robinson was very good at that meaning and purpose for the Crusaders each year. What are we about? And that identity piece. And that was his bread and butter, and he was amazing at it. And he's going to be awesome in the All Blacks around this too. So you're playing for more than what's in front of you. And that stuff is gold because it comes back to your podcast. You love doing this because there's a meaning and purpose. Mm. That's why you're doing it. You know? And when you have that meaning and purpose, money's irrelevant. You make money by a byproduct, but that's not your focus. And when you do that, that's when you start living, I think. I think it's interesting using the podcast as an example because – and I said this when we first started, like it was very much a selfish endeavor. And now it's sort of turned into we want to translate this into as many ways for people to get learnings and things out of it as possible. But we don't get paid for this. The amount of value I get every week sitting on this couch chatting with yeah. someone yeah. is considerably more than the cost to make the episode. Yeah, but that's yeah. the same with an athlete. You know, often we talk, you're there to impress or there to improve you know, at training. So if you're there to improve at training, that becomes the focus. Now, the byproduct may be you get selected, you know, but if you don't, guess what? You've got better. 
But if you're there trying to impress the coaches and everything, right, you, you won't make take any chances, you won't try and get better, you won't try and learn because you don't want to make any mistakes. You guys do this well, the, the potential byproduct would be you could make a business out of this. But if you don't, guess what? You've learned shit. So it's been helpful. You know, around it. And that's what I'm saying. If we get our attention on the right stuff, it's amazing what happens. I didn't get into my study and do what I wanted to do to get where I'm sitting now. It was didn't even come into my head. I just loved what I was doing. It's like, well, let's just keep rolling with this and mm. see where it goes. So I'm a big believer in that. I know it's never that simple and it doesn't always the road's not always straight. But at least you're doing something you love doing. And I think nowadays there's so many opportunities to make a career out of something you love doing. Well, why would you not do that? Mm. We feel exceptionally lucky to be doing this and that there is actually a pathway. I mean, I think when I um, talk to people and talk about a podcast, especially um, sort of older generation, 50s and such. That's not old, mate. But yeah, oh, so I was sorry. Say. Yeah, no, nah, yeah. nah, it's terrible. <laughs> to, Jack's to back Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> Mature people, yeah. Mature people, that's yeah, a better way to put it. I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, there's... I almost feel like I have to uh, explain or justify how this could potentially turn into something we do full time. Yep. Because this job just didn't exist. What, five, six? I don't know. Joe Rogan's been doing it for 100 years. Yep. But you know what I mean? It just didn't, these possibilities weren't there. So yep. we are so. The creator economy lucky. didn't exist. That's what it is. Um, That's a fantastic way to put but it. But it's also not just that, it's the, it's the entire different way people learn. Back in the day, you could have made a lot of money by creating this and collating it and turning it into research or an article. Yeah. It's just a new medium. Yeah. But they don't understand the medium. No, they don't. Well, it's technology that I understand that, do they? Yeah. No, yeah. Right. But it shows if you're, if you're clear where you want to go, it, the only person holding you back is you. And that's the thing about this. It's the same with athletes. But what goes with that is scary. You know, you listen to the All Blacks. This last week, you know, they want to embrace the challenge and walk towards it and looking forward to it. I'm sure they were, but they're also packing themselves. Because you know, what goes with that, it's still scary. Oh, you know, yeah. Your top athletes still get scared, but they are able to reframe that to a situation where, yeah, it is a bit scary, but look at the other side of this. How, what a great opportunity. Here's a chance for us to perform on the world stage. Here's a chance for us to get one back on island. Here's a chance for us to make a semi. So they're able to reframe the situation to something what they're looking forward to compared to, oh, what happens if it goes wrong? Well, it could go wrong, but of course it could go right. And that's a kind of shift in lens. You've obviously worked with quite a few of the Crusaders uh, and by proxy, quite a few of the All Blacks. I'm kind of interested, and this is pretty left field, but have you had a chance to chat with any of them post the win over Ireland or during their experience during the World no, Cup? Look, during the World Cup, when they were in the ABs, you got Gilbert yep. and Oka there and Keir Evans, so I kind of stepped way back. Look, I've texted them all, um, said well done, and they've come back with the usual um, replies around, yep, it's good. But we haven't won anything yet. Let's start again. I mean, that's yeah. what they're that very good at. That in itself is really interesting, but we haven't won anything yet, so let's keep going. Yeah, but that's yeah. your narrative piece, you know, around our ability to, what are you there to do? Are well, you there to finish the job? And the job is a World Cup final, Yeah, you know, around it. And it's not you haven't won anything yet, but you haven't lost anything yet either because it's not your World Cup. But it's around, it's the next job. And often you hear that in sport is, you know, that's done, right, move on to the next job. Well, it's and Kobe Bryant. Job's not done. But it's not, and often they use you know things like you know we're back to zero, we're back to sub zero. So it's almost that start again. You know you've earned mm. the right for another week, but now you've got to earn the right to play well this week. And it goes back to the recipe. Okay, so what do they need to do this week from their recovery point of view, nutritional point of view, mental skills point of view, technical tactical, all those things. We can't just go, well, we've got it now, so let's just roll into it. You've got to earn the right to do that again. And I think that's mm. what they'll do very well. And that's where your strong leaders will be very good, hopefully, around making sure the boys understand well. 
we've got to start this again. I mean, Argentina aren't going to fall over for us, you know, but how do you earn the right again to get to that same arousal, that same focus for this week because you're going to need it. And guess what? If you win this week, we do it again next week. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part is that getting yourself up, you know, everyone thinks, oh, you're playing for a country, you should always be up, but they have the same issues that we have, you know, families, relationships, stresses, all these things that they have. They still have that. As I said, we can come to work and bullshit our way through it for a whole week. No one really knows. But if they don't get it right, everyone knows. And it's front page of the paper. So that's the kind of different mindset. So the ability to to have the tools to manage that and have the awareness to manage that becomes really important. And I think the good athletes are very good at doing that. But it's a skill that everyone can learn. Okay. So answer this for us then. One of our major goals on the podcast is about empowering our listeners. How can they go from a survivor mindset to an athlete mindset? Is there a roadmap for that? Yeah, look, there are, there's lots of roadmaps, but again, if you if you go back to strip it all back, it's like, well, what, what's their why? What do they want to do? It's all that cliche stuff, you know. So if you if you want to lose weight or get a better job, why? You know, it's the mm. same with athletes. Often you sit there, you know, rugby, cricket, netball. What do you want to be? I want to be a silver fern, a black cap, you know, all black. And I go, why? And it's generally, oh, because it'd be really good and for my family. I go, cool. Why? And that's when it stops because they haven't really thought about it. So really understand what their why is. So if people want to change, they've got to, the why has to be strong enough to do it. Because mm. once it gets hard, you go, I'm out. So really understanding, for, you know, if, if anyone's listening to this and goes, right, where my life is, I want things to change. Well, understand why do you want them to change? What difference is it going to make? So there's actually something to aim for, basically. And then once you understand that, it's like, okay, well, what's my map towards this? What's a micro step I can do today that would get me one step closer. Because what we often try and do is we try and change, we try and go from A to Z and it's too hard. It's like New Year's resolutions, you know, New Year's Eve, I'm going to make all these things, have a few beers tomorrow, it's all going to change. You wake up the next day, you can't remember half it, or you made this, I'm going to go to the gym five times next week, and you go three times, you get really sore, I'm like, can't again. So you just, what's the little micro step you can do that won't fail that you would definitely do? Because once you do that, you feel better. And that's the thing about goals. If you set goals which are too high at the start, you don't achieve them or you don't do them, how do you feel afterwards? Pretty crappy. Yeah, yeah feels exactly. <laughs> So the motivation to do it again is less. So often we talk about micro steps. So I remember working with an athlete years ago and they'd had two serious knee injuries and, and the second one they weren't in great space and we needed to get them back on a bike. And they're at home but they're pretty much on, in bed watching Netflix doing jack really. And so we're around to see them. It's like, you know, what's happening? And they go, look, it's, you know. They weren't depressed, but they probably weren't getting far off that. And I said, well, what can you do? Because everyone's going, you've got you to get on the bike. You've got to start doing things. But it was, it was just too much for them. Mm. I said, what can you do? And they kind of went, well, I'll get my gym gear out. And I went, okay, just next week, what I want you to do, get your gym gear out for a week. Just get up in the morning, get your gym gear out. So it means they had to get out of bed, get the gym gear out. Cool. So that's literally the first week. Second week, right, what do you do now? Well... I can probably put my gym gear on, okay. So next week, just get up each morning, chuck your gym gear on. That's all they could do. But they did it. Started to get a bit of momentum. Okay, third week, what do you want to do now? Well, well, I said, what have you been doing? Watching Netflix. Okay, that's cool. Um, where's the bike? In the garage. Well, could you get the bike out of the garage? Yeah, sure. So well, where do you want to put the bike? Put it in the lounge. Okay, so next week, got the bike out, put it in the lounge. That's all they did. Perfect. Fourth week, I think, well, that's right. What do you want to do this week? Well, I could sit on my bike. Okay, what do you like watching this? Okay, this week, sit on your bike, watch your TV show, and then we'll check out next week. What do you reckon they did that week? 
Went for a bike ride. Went for a bike ride. Sat in the TV, watched TV, bike ride. Took four weeks to get to that point. Now, most of us would go, what's wrong with you? Just get off your ass and get on the bike. They, for many reasons, weren't ready to do that. So we had to do those little micro steps, things that they could do, small steps, and it took a bit of time. And it's the same with anyone listening to this, is that we have these goals and we want to go from here to here and we're really impatient and then we get halfway through it and it just gets too hard and we go, oh, I'll just go back to comfort zone. And let's stay there because it's nice and comfortable. Netflix, six-pack, pizza, and that's great, it's easy. But what's comfortable isn't always what's right. What feels good, what feels good isn't always what is good. And so it's getting that real clarity and then it's about, okay, who's a bit of an accountability buddy? Who's my team around me? You know, who are the people I can share this with who can support me doing it? And actually just making those little steps. So it's like a year or two year plan. It's not like an eight week challenge that we don't do. So it's just doing things like that. And people, they just give up too quickly. It gets hard. It's easy not to do it. And it's comfortable doing this. How do people identify those micro steps though? Like, I guess <clears throat> the bigger question is how do people find their why? Because you've kind of mentioned mm. that, right? Oh, look, it takes time. That's what I'm saying. It's find a way that's going to be good enough for you at the moment to do things. Because often, for me, I mean, weight loss is an easy one. Why do you want to lose weight? Because I want to be going to the beach and look good. Well, that's not going to sustain you. Because no one cares anyway. Hey, look. You know, what about because you can actually be more active or it's actually a bit good for your health? What's some other whys which are actually a bit more motivation for you? Um, around it so it's it's again it's people this is the bit we don't do very well it's connecting with other people and having conversations around this and sharing their experiences and listening to podcasts but actually talking to friends and, and saying okay well what think I can do today which will get me one percent better and if I do that every day for a week that's seven percent if I do it for two weeks it's 14 percent if I do it for a whole month it's 30 percent hey I can take the weekends off and still get 20 percent improvement but it's around breaking those little things down and having a plan. It's just on all the real basic stuff that people won't want to do. They just expect us to rock up. I've got the gym membership, I'm going to the gym, and then they just get busy. So it's the ability to plan those things out and going, well, what's in it for me? I'm pretty clear on my why. That might shift as we go through it. But let's take the time to reflect on it, talk to people about it, have a plan, again, review the plan, when it worked, why. If it didn't work, same question, why. What went well with it? What did you learn? And just making those gradual steps. That's all they, the best people do. They don't kind of go from A to Z. I've got a wild idea. Um, we'll see if this works. I Hit it, Jack. Yeah, no, I thought, why don't we get a, a practical run through of, of that? So um, I fall in and out of love with the gym. I probably go for six months and I stop for three months. And I go, I should probably get in the gym again. I go for six months and I stop. I'm in one of those ruts where I've stopped. How can I start working that back into my why life. do you go to the gym why don't i why do you oh why do i um i go to the gym to get stronger for the activities i like to do for you know, running and and just being able to be active do you need to do that to get active go to the gym probably not really so what do you need to do uh, i just need to be outside and, and doing the activities i guess so why don't us do that that's a really good question that's what I'm saying is that, you know, yeah. why are you going to the gym? Because I feel it makes sense to go to the yeah. gym. Well, why not just go and play more? Mm. We don't play very much as adults. You know, so why not go to the, now it's the summer, go to the beach twice a week and chuck a rugby ball around or run around the sand dunes or just go and have fun. You know, we get this structured stuff. Just going for a walk is exercise, mate, you know, around it. So, yeah. but it's gradual things. You can make a, make a gym at home. You can have a gym at the park. We used to do body weight stuff. 
yeah. you know, around it. Because again, for you, you're going, well, I should, this is where the word should's really dangerous, I should be yep. able to go to the gym all the time. Yeah, but you're not. You could go to the gym, but you don't have to. So what's another way of doing it, basically? And being really clear, am I going to the gym because I think it's going to make me better, or am I going to the gym because I think that's what I should do? It feels like you're going to the gym because that's what you think you should do. Around it. But what you might go, right, what I'm going to do each year, I'm going to go to the gym for three months, then I'm going to stop. Then I'm going to do something else for three months. Then I might go back to the gym for three months again. Then I might go do some CrossFit. Then I might go and do, is it BFT, a new one? Then I might do an eight-week challenge. Vary it around. Why would mm-hmm. you keep just going to the gym? I don't have an answer there. We'll start playing around with answers. That's what I'm saying. Is that yeah. Think outside the square. We get very traditional. You know, well, that's what I should do. Well, yes, possibly. So you look at pre-season crusades will start in December. They'll be doing CrossFit. They'll be doing F45. They'll be doing some beach runs, I'm sure. They'll be doing runs up Mount Pleasant. They'll be doing stuff in the gym. It won't just be gym. You know, like, you know Tom Walsh, worked for Tom for about 14 years. He'll do um, gymnastics again this year. Um, he'll be doing other cross, um, cross-code sports to do things to vary it up, basically. So you're almost making yourself do something you probably don't really want to do, and then you beat yourself up for not wanting to do it. Doesn't make sense, does it? You you put it so plainly that I feel like an idiot for not knowing it. But I thought like that that was probably such a helpful example. I mean, for me personally, I think for I, most people it is. I have not thought about it that way at all, and I'm happy to admit that. Well, so, you know, just if you come here next time, park two k your car away and walk here. Yeah, there's your exercise for the day. You know, it's almost like that first principles thing that Logan. Talk to, talk to us through. In fact, Logan said something very similar to you around the whole find your why piece and, and seeking mm. discomfort. Well, it's just Simon Sinek stuff, the why stuff. But it's yeah. still, I think it's still really important because we often do stuff because we do it. And if you actually ask someone why they're doing it, often it's because I've always done it this way. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's a really dangerous answer. And that's part of my role when I go into teams is, why are you doing that? And some people get quite annoyed. It's like, well, if you can't answer the question, then we shouldn't be doing it. You know, so being really curious about, well, why am I going to the gym? Well, I don't really know. Is it good for me? Potentially, but so it was CrossFit, so I was going for a walk, so I was going for a mountain bike ride, so I was going for a swim, so I was going to walk along the beach. They're all good for you. So finding things which you allow you to do it, and then you might build into the gym, but why would you make yourself go somewhere and then beat yourself up for not going there? Mm. So we're not rational, eh? No, terribly. Also, also it seems like an accepted thing to do, right? Oh, very much so. You know, I've got to be fit. I should go to the gym. Yeah. It's, the, it's the way it is, right? It's, it's the but, accepted, but, done thing. But I suppose a really good example from a sporting one. So what we know of the athletes in Christchurch is to keep them here for six months, they do get bored. So what we do now is every seven or eight weeks, we do a camp somewhere. It could be in Nelson, it could be in Twiles, or it could be in Wanaka, just to change the scenery. So that, that's for you, it's the same thing. You might go, it's good, gym for two months, and I just change the scenery. It's not because I don't want to go, it's just I know I just get a little bit bored. I mean, that's what it is. I don't not, when I go to the gym and I'm going consistently, I love it. And that's why I'm doing it. But when I don't love it, I've got no reason to go. Well, then don't wait until you don't love it. Do it before Change you it still instead. enjoy it. And then go, right, I'm going to try this for, for four weeks. And there's your bit of a plan. Do it for four weeks. Go, actually, I quite enjoyed that. Do it another four weeks or two weeks. That's the ability of plans. You keep in reassessing where you're going with those ones. And this is that little bit about resilience. We see resilience as persevering all the time. That's how I think of it. That's killing us. There's a really good book called Do Hard Things, and I'll try and paraphrase what they say, but they talk about mental toughness, even though it's got 70 different definitions. I like this one. It says the ability 
to feel discomfort, lean in, and then literally take a step back and then make the appropriate decision. So the ability to kind of feel the discomfort of what's happening, lean into it and go, yeah, this is really uncomfortable, step back and go, right, what do I need to do now? Do I actually need to keep training or do I actually need to stop training? Because sometimes stopping training is being resilient, not persevering. Same with you, you know, I can get to a Friday, you know, it could be four o'clock, I've got one more meeting, I'm cooked, I go, well, I can be really resilient here and just go to that meeting and just get through it, but I give them shit service. Or I can go, actually, what would be better for me now is to probably finish work and get home early, um, recharge, rebook that meeting to Monday, and guess what, they're going to get me eight out of ten. That's resilience. Well, we see resilience as slog it out, go to that last meeting, just get through it, and you're a resilient prick. No, you're a dumb prick because you probably <laughs> haven't done what you should have done. You're probably not that engaged. And all you're doing is just burning yourself out. It's interesting that you fully phrase that around how much value people are going to get out of you yeah. or how much of yourself you have to give. Yeah, but we've all, done, we've all had those oh, meetings I, where you just, you're existing. Yeah, you're just getting through it. I've been, I've been a dumb prick many times. We all have. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. I've studied this for years. I still get it wrong. So it's not like, you know, we've mastered this, but it's just that awareness piece. And, and you know, my philosophy around what, you know, Mental toughness has shifted over time because it's, you know, I was in the old school days of you just persevere. And, you know, talking to the farmers today, it's the same thing. You know, you I was going to say they'd it. have their own, their very own mindset. Yeah, the you, just, you just get on with it. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't work. And it doesn't mean at times, I remember years ago, it was, must have just before Christmas and I was cooked and we had to do one more presentation. And I remember turning up with a colleague and we both got out of the cars and we just looked like crap. And it was like, I said, look, we need to change something here because we couldn't then cancel. So I said, well, we've got 15 minutes just to bring it. And often people talk about, you know, fake it till you make it. No, you've got to face it and then make it. So we had to face, we were both cooked, right? We need to be really intentional around energy today. We actually need to make sure we really bring it. Where normally if you're 8 out of 10, you bring it anyway, you're on. So that was a day you had to be really intentional. So we had to make sure we walk in there and almost, hey, how are you going? Ready to go? And be really intentional around it. And we got through it. And sometimes you've got to do that. But other days it's like, no, I'm actually, I'm out, I'm good. Because that's the awareness piece of persevering then. It's not that helpful. And the same with athletes. Sometimes don't train is better for you. Go home. Spend time with your family, your kids, or go and do something else. Because guess what? Then you come back tomorrow, we've got you 7 out of 10. We're on now. But why have a day of 4 out of 10 and another day of 4 out of 10 just because we think that's resilience? Makes no sense. I love that. Mm. I've, and we've talked so much during this whole episode about habits you can build and actions you can take. But I'm really curious because you're someone who's coached CEOs, New Zealand's biggest sporting stars. What does a better brain day look like for you? What are the days where you feel like you're performing at your best and the habits oh, that help you perform at your best? Look, it's a bit, I'll go to the gym most mornings. Um, sometimes they're really good sessions, sometimes they're a waste of time. But it's my time. So it's going to be from 45 minutes to an hour of my time where – up at 6, gym at 6.30. That's how I start the day. And as I said, sometimes they're great workouts, sometimes not, but it's the byproduct is I get fit. That's not what I'm going there for. It's my switch off time, do my own thing. Sometimes I go heavy, sometimes I go light, sometimes I just do jack shit, but I've done something you know, around it. And then for me, it's getting better at planning the days out. Nutrition's really important because it's easy just not to eat during the day and just back up your meetings. I remember during... COVID, I was, we're literally doing 12-hour days on Zoom and it took me two weeks to realise I wasn't taking a break, you know. 
that's how stupid I was. You know, he has me teaching this stuff, and I was just backing <laughs> them up because it was so easy with the Zoom just to go, you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock because yeah. you don't have to go anywhere. Ten minute break each time. So I wasn't even doing that. I oh, really? Just, just finish the meeting, click the next Zoom next link. Next one. And now I suddenly went, what am I doing? So then I went, right, two Zooms, 10 minutes, hop outside, jump in the spa, just switch off, 10 minutes, right back in. And do it. That's what I'm saying. We're not good at doing this because we're not intentional around doing it. So for me, it's about being really intentional around my day. I'm better now at planning my day, so I'm having breaks during the day because I often back my days up. Um, so it's just doing those little things and making sure when you get home, you know, both the kids are out of home now, so that me and my wife are actually trying to get out, go for a walk on the weekends, do things. It's just, it's all the simple stuff, but it's the stuff that, you know, whatever's easy to do is easy not to do. Mm. You know, I remember when the, both kids first left the house, we were sitting there one night, it's probably nine o'clock, I was sitting there, TV going, Leanne was over there, she's on her laptop, I'm on my laptop. And I thought, this could get really slippery, eh? You know? So, because we can both work 24-7, and so now it's about really intentional, you know, there's times we will work, but there's times we actually need to get out. So for me, it's simple exercise, it's simple um, try, making sure I'm eating well, and just having little breaks during the day. And trying to get one round of golf in a week. That's, oh, <laughs> you know no. what, since having my little boy, I've lost my golf and I'm so sad, but I'll get there, I'll get it back Yeah, but up. you will, but what you might pick up now is the driving range for half an hour, okay? And that's what I'm saying. So yeah, this is the thing with athletes is, you know, when they can't train, mm. well, what will buffer that? Not replace it. What will buffer it? Because golf's a four-hour game. So, you know, <laughs> you have to have a very patient wife she lets you do that. Well, not lets you, but, you know, you're able to do that. <laughs> but so what you might go is, well, I can't play golf as much, but what I might do is just book in half an hour of driving range once a week. And that's what I'm saying. Often we go from extremes, well, I can't do that, so I do nothing. And same with the gym. Well, I can't go to the gym, so I do nothing. No, just park your car, car away and walk in. You know, so what's like house that gives you a six out of ten, but not an eight out of ten? And it's the same with golf. I think, you know, especially with kids, you still need to be, you know, invest in yourself because if you want to be the best version of yourself for your kids, well, if you're not doing that, you get home, and you're smoked. Well, that's when the kids need you the most. So, putting those time aside, planning your week, and whether it's driving range or mini, mini golf or nine holes, put a price on it. I've written down two things about your better brain day. And that's intentionality and self-awareness. Well, self-awareness. I feel like that's the whole story. <clears throat> yeah. Well, then I was, I was thinking, mm. well, actually, that's just, that's the two takeaways from today. Be intentional and actually be self-aware. And look, I always use the, the intentional thing for me is what we're really good at. If, we, if you got up now, it won't happen, but you sprained your ankle, you'd be very intentional around sitting down, icing it and strapping it. Okay? We're very good with the body. If you got up from here and you're really stressed and things aren't going well, you'd go, I hope that gets better and you'd carry on. You know? Yeah. So the brain does give us clues around our stress levels and how we're feeling. We're just not very good at listening to those things. So it's our ability and that self-awareness piece is massive. We all think we're self-aware. We're terrible at self-awareness. You know? How often do you actually stop and pause during the day and check and write, how am I going? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Where am I out of 10? Am I 4? Okay, 4 out of 10, right. I need to go for around the block. I need to eat some more food. I need to ring someone because I always like chatting to people. What are that, what's the intervention? Because as I said, if you hurt your leg, you'd be taking your anti-flams, you'd be bloody doing your strapping, you'd be icing it. But when we hurt this, we go, I hope today goes okay. So let's move away from hope, be a bit more self-aware, and then be intentional with what you need. I feel incredibly called out. Oh, me too, man. But that is, I feel like that's such a great way to, to end it as well. We've kind of come full circle. And that is such a perfect takeaway in terms of Actually, not just being conscious about our physical health, but the fact that you're even telling athletes that listen to that mental health because that's the way that you're going to be the best performer. 
Perfect. Good summary. Gosh. We have two ways to finish off the podcast. Well, two things to do before we finish off the podcast. We do. Number one, which I feel like there's so many things it could be, is we set homework, which sounds daunting, but we want it to be something that the guests can take away yep. in action this week from you. Okay, nice. So what's something that the people listening can take away and do now that's going to help them perform better? Um, look, I, one thing is connection, I'll keep going back to that, is get a team around you. Um, get a team around you of people who support you, who love you unconditionally, who will then support you through what you need, any changes. Um, the second part of homework is let's not fear being uncomfortable. Let's not fear when it's hard. And ask what you notice when it's hard, why is it hard? Uh, and what do you need to do to manage hardness? Because I think at times we see hard as not coping, where if it's not hard, my guess is you're in that comfort zone basically around it. And the last bit is just that self-awareness piece. Take three times a day, stop, pause when you're washing your hands in the toilet, check in, right, how am I going? And then you can work out what you need to do with that. Athletes are really self-aware. Yeah. Uh, and that's around you know, their mood, um, their body, um, what they're thinking. Because again, they all have the same thoughts you guys have. They're no different, but they're aware of those thoughts and working out, do I keep these thoughts, let them go. Um, and they're just really intentional about how they do things. I mean, it's, as I said, it's not, it's not rocket science, but it's just really hard to do. It's funny, I feel like throughout this conversation, you've listed just about every single thing I've ever heard about how to strengthen your mind or mental well-being, all from just you know various yeah. sources, various videos. I'm like, now I believe it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know I, mean? I, I heard it once. I went, oh yeah. Yeah, but it's the old cliche. I look at it from an athlete point of view. Is particularly with the academy. I've been in the academy for maybe 16 years now, and then Crusaders for eight. And so you get an 18 year old that goes through the academy and sit there, and, and you, this has been recorded, is it? Are we recording, Jack? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're, we're going. Okay. But that's we'll, yeah. yeah. no, fine. We'll cut it. No, that's no, fine. But you'd almost, often with the young ones, you'd shadow box them. Okay, so they'd come and see you one-on-one because they kind of have to. They'd manage the group sessions because they have to. But they didn't see the importance of it because they haven't really failed, they haven't really been tested. And then at kind of 21, 22, 23, the heat comes on and they're really fit, technique's really good, tactically really good, eating well, but guess what? They're not playing well. So the penny kind of drops then, well, those are all covered off, so what's the last thing? Well, it's mental skills. And often then I get a call from one of the boys and they go, or girls or cricket too, hey, can we catch up? And then the student's there. And it's the same with you, Jack. We've all told the stuff, but until we're ready to listen to it, we don't do anything about it. I remember I got this mm. reading years ago, um, and I looked at it, and it was from a really good friend, and I looked at it and went, oh, this is terrible. Just deleted it. And then about six months later, I got the same reading, but I was in a better headspace. Whatever reason, I went, shit, this is awesome. This is great. And I went, should I recognise this? I went back to my emails and I got it six months earlier. But I wasn't ready to listen. I wasn't ready to read. I wasn't ready to take it on. And that's the whole thing about the space is that sometimes we're just not ready. And there's a maturity part to it and there's also the life part to it. And it has to be relevant for where you are at the moment. And when it becomes relevant, you go, I'll do that now. Mm. And that's the thing about it. That's why the place is hard. It's It's... It's not an easy thing to do, this stuff. And that's why there's a lot of good athletes and there's only a few great athletes. There's some good business people and there's some great ones. And the great ones, in my experience, are just able to grasp this quicker, as I said, and learn quicker and then make it work for them. Because how it's going to work for you is going to be different to you, different for Jack, different for me, but they work out how it works. 
that's my homework. I'm going to try and figure out how this all works. Yeah. <laughs> same, but that's the bit yeah. about, same with athletes, you know, copy, filter, edit, paste. Yeah. You know, we get a lot of people coming to the Crusaders from overseas observing and they'd be writing all this stuff down. It's like, mate, what are you doing? It's got to copy, filter, edit, paste it. Don't lift this up and put it in your environment because it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. But copy down the bits that make sense, filter them, edit it to you and then paste it into your life because then you've got a chance of doing it. But you can't just lift up you know, all this and go, right, I'm going to do all that because you won't. Which bits are relevant for you then? Which, what's, it, what's the one thing then you can do? You try and do five things, mate, you do none of them. You try and do one thing, yeah, you got a chance. But we try and do everything. It doesn't work. Don't lift it up and put it in your environment. This is going to be bonus content. I feel like we could talk to you forever. This is yeah, such exactly. good. This, this is, is like gold. I don't think you'd run yeah. out of things to say. No, I'm, I was like, I'm like years of mind blowing, filtered expertise. It's amazing. Um, right to take us home, John. Uh, we like to roll out the red carpet for our guests. Yep. How can the audience engage with what you're doing, uh, from businesses to to mentors? How can people get in touch with you and, and become a yeah. part of that story? Look, probably the best place is our website, Performance Wellbeing, um, and you can access it through that. Look, we're not massive social media people, so <laughs> we have a Facebook page which hasn't been used for about two years, and I think we've even got an Instagram, which I don't know how to get into yet. However, um, <laughs> I'm just showing my age, we are looking at doing that. So we've kind of slowed it down a little bit because we've been really busy and we're going to pick it up again. We're just redoing the website now. Um, it should be going next week. So well, it's going now, but the new one will be going next week. So probably the website. Um, as I said, we work within businesses around that leadership, resilience, uh, mental skills, wellbeing space um, around it. And it's look, it's an exciting place because any work environment's like a sporting environment. They want to be high performance. So how can they create that culture that, that um, I suppose encourages that? So to answer your question, probably the website at Performance Wellbeing. Fantastic. Perfect. John, thank you so much for pouring years of filtered expertise uh we've got so much to talk about after this oh yeah we're gonna reflect (coughs) i know yeah copy filter paste edit edit that's bonus bonus content bonus content that's a wrap hey thank you You have been listening to The Progress Podcast. We launch episodes every Friday. And if you want to know more about us and who we are and what we do, you can visit our website, theprogresspod.com. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. So tune in on your favorite podcast channels or head to our YouTube to see what we're up to in the studio. We'd also love to hear your feedback. So send your burning questions, your guest suggestions, and your feedback to hello at theprogresspod.com.